Thank you for listening to City Awakening Podcast. City Awakening is a gospel-centered church located in East Orlando that plants new churches, striving to be a multicultural, multi-generational church. For more information about City Awakening, follow us on social media or visit www.cityawakening.org. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Lewis. I'm a lead pastor here at City Awakening. Welcome to those of you who are here on site and to those of you who are watching online. Welcome. Uh, at this time, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our children to children's ministry. We do like to have our children come together and worship together as a family and then dismiss them for some age-specific content. If you did not get the chance to be able to check your children in, please feel free to see our children's ministry leaders in the back, and they would be more than happy to assist you with that. Now, this week is our, um, it's our third week in a four-week teaching series that we're doing called Generous, which is all about learning to give in a world of greed. And when we started out this series, one of the things that I mentioned was that, you know, that both skeptics and believers, I think, would agree that our relationships, our families, our society in general would be, would be far better off if we were generous rather than greedy. And we'd be far better off if we were growing in generosity rather than growing in greed. Well, um, several years ago, famous horror filmmaker Stephen King, he started to recognize this as well. He actually recognized the pointless pursuit of greed, the pointless pursuit of trying to hoard our wealth, trying to hold on to our wealth. Stephen King said this. He said, a couple of years ago, I was lying in a ditch at the side of a country road. I was covered in mud and blood with the tibia of my right leg poking out of the side of my jeans, like a branch of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm. I mean, who can make it more poetic than that, right? Like, I mean, bro, you got a tibia, now you're making it poetic, right? During that time, I got a painful but extremely valuable look at life's simple backstage truths. We come in naked and broke, and we might be dressed when we go out, but we're still just as broke. Warren Buffett, going out broke. Bill Gates, going out broke. Tom Hanks, going out broke. Steve King, broke. Not a crying dime. So I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others. And why not? All you have is on loan anyways. I find it ironic that here we have one of the greatest horror filmmakers ever, Stephen King, right? And and yet he's talking about being generous. I mean, there was nothing generous about the movie Cujo, right? Nothing generous about the movie Children of the Corn. Listen, man, I still am afraid to go to cornfields because of that movie. You know, people are like, hey, you want to go to a corn maze? Yeah, no, no, I'm okay, I'm good, all right? I get nervous from that. But here we have this, one of the, who's known to be one of the greatest horror filmmakers in history, and it takes him facing a horrific situation for him to finally wake up and realize it's pointless to pursue greed and to hold on to your wealth. It takes him lying in a ditch for him to finally come to a place where he will realize what the Bible's been teaching for thousands of years, which it's pointless being greedy with our wealth because we can't take any of it with us anyways, all right? See, I think both skeptics and believers would agree with that. Both skeptics and believers would agree that our relationships, our families, our society in general would be far better off if we were growing in generosity rather than greed. Well, the question that we've been addressing in this series is how do we do that? How do we actually grow in generosity? 
In week one, we talked about the motivation for giving. In week two, we talked about the benefits of giving. And this is week three. Next week will be our last week in the series. And so we're going to talk about the attitude of giving. All right, how's your attitude when it comes to giving? You know, when you give, you know, is there a bit of reluctance in you? You know, some reluctancy in you? If there is, it's a sign that there's greed in your heart. When you give, if there's joy in your heart in giving, then it's a sign that, you know, you, you might be more of a generous person. How's your attitude when it comes to your giving? How's your heart? when it comes to your giving. And this is what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You can find 2 Corinthians in the last quarter part of your Bible. If you're new to your Bible, you'll find it there. We'll also have the words on the screen for you. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15 is what we'll be in. And the title of today's message is The Attitude of Giving. And here's the big idea, all right? The heart is more important than the amount. All right, the heart is more important than the, than the amount. The heart of your giving, the attitude of the giver is more important than the amount of the giving. We're going to see that in the text today. A little bit of context here. Uh, the Apostle Paul is the author of this letter, and he's writing to a church that is located in Corinth, Greece, which archaeologists have, have discovered was considered to be more of a, a wealthy, urbanized city. And so the issue that Paul is addressing in, chapters eight and chapter, in chapter 8 and chapter 9 isn't an issue of a lack of wealth on the Corinthian Christians' part. It's an issue of a lack of generosity with their wealth. And he is encouraging them to give to the Jerusalem church that is um, suffering famine. And as he does this in chapter 9, we're going to learn, he's going to teach us and he's going to teach them and, and teach us through them uh, about the attitude of giving, how the attitude is more important than the amount of giving. So let's check it out. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 15 states this. The point is this, the person who sows, spar sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart. Now he says each person should do, each person should give what he's decided in his heart. Paul is talking specifically here, contextually speaking, chapter 8 and chapter 9, he's talking specifically about financial giving to the church. He says each person should give what they've decided to give in their heart, right? What they've decided in their heart to give. Giving is a focus on heart. Now, this is important, I think, for a lot of Christians, you know, especially for those of you who are Christians, because a lot of times Christians will, will wonder, you know, well, how much should I be giving, or, or am I giving, giving generously enough? You know, and so we'll start to, sometimes some of us might have some guilt inside of us, feeling like we're not giving enough. And so, you know, how much are we supposed to give? Well, Paul addresses the question here. He said each person should give what they've decided in their heart to give, what the Lord has placed on their heart to give. Now, some of you may have grown up thinking that, you know, we're supposed to give 10% of our income, but did you know the Bible doesn't teach that? In fact, the, the Bible actually teaches, if you're going by the Old Testament teaching on giving, if you're going by the Old Testament, which is where people get the 10% tithe from, if you go by the Old Testament tithe, there were actually three Old Testament tithes that we were supposed to give. It was a 10% Levitical tithe, a 10% festival tithe, and then there was a 10% charity tithe that was supposed to be given twice every seven years, which if you break those numbers down, it actually comes out to be about 23% tithe um, every year. Okay, so those were the Old Testament tithes, but giving in the Bible from beginning to end has never been about a percentage. It's always been about the heart. It's always been about the attitude of the giver, not the amount of the giver. If you ever notice what Paul, when you, I mean, in chapters 8 and 9, he never once mentions amount, right? In any of his teachings, he never mentions amount. He never says, this is how much you need to give, this is the percentage you need to give, because it's all about the heart. He says, these persons should give what they've decided in their heart to give. It's because giving is always a matter of the heart. 
See, some people, they have a chain that is attached from their wallet to their pants. But everybody has a chain that's attached from their wallet to their heart. Jesus reiterates this in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches, verses 19 to 34, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be also, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Jesus is pointing to the heart too. Because giving is a matter of the heart. Our wallets, our wealth, our treasures, our greed, our generosity is a matter of the heart. You know, it's, uh, it's all a matter of the heart. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A great theologian by the name of Martin Luther, he once said, there are three conversions a person must experience. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook. Why? Because people have a really hard time letting go of the pocketbook. People have a hard time letting go of the money idol in their hearts, the money God in their hearts. And in verse 24... Jesus says that there isn't enough room in our hearts for both gods. There isn't enough room in our hearts for us to treat Jesus as our God and our money as our God. Verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters since, he either, since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus says you can't serve both. You can't have money as your God, and you can't have him as your There's not enough room in our hearts for both to be our gods. Now, when Jesus says this, he isn't saying that he's against us making wealth. I want to be, be, be clear about this. He's not saying he's, he's against us making money. He's against us making an idol out of our money, okay, making a God out of our money. He isn't against those of you who might be wealthy. Right? He isn't against you being wealthy. He's against you uh, making uh, an idol out of your wealth, being greedy with your wealth, treating your wealth as a greater master than him. And so we have to ask ourselves, who's our master? Who's our, what have we been pursuing in our life? Who's our master? You know, is it Jesus who's our God, or is it our money that's our God? Who's our master? Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? You cannot serve both God and money. There's not enough room in our hearts for both God's. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is basically teaching us what Jesus is teaching us here. He is saying that, that you know, we will be um, generous in our giving. We'll be generously giving from our heart when Jesus is the greater treasure in our heart. You know, we will give whatever amount or whatever percentage Jesus has placed on our hearts to give. This is an individual question here. This is not a corporate question because that's going to be different for each of us. Okay? but we're going to give whatever amount Jesus places on our heart to give. This is what Paul says again, verse 7, back in 2 Corinthians. Each person should do as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God, since God loves a cheerful giver. Notice the focus, once again, is on the attitude of the giver. It's not on the amount. It's on the attitude of the giver. It's on the heart of the giver. In this case, he says each person should give as they've decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. Right? So the focus is on the heart. It's on the attitude. You know, are we giving cheerfully? It's not about how much you give, it's about how you give it. 
Some of you, maybe the Lord is calling you to give for the first time. Okay, maybe he's calling you to give 1%. Well, if that's the case, do it cheerfully. Maybe he's calling you to give 5% of your income. Do that cheerfully. Maybe he's calling you to give 10%, 20%, maybe more. Do it cheerfully because it's not about how much you give. It's about how you give it. In this text right now, Paul's teaching us that there's really two different kinds of givers. There's those who are reluctant givers and those who are cheerful givers. We need to ask ourselves which kind of giver we are. What kind of giver are you? Are you a reluctant giver or are you a cheerful giver? Each person is a give what we've decided in our hearts. How's your attitude? How's your heart when it comes to your giving? Look, I'll put it to you like this, okay? Um, I don't really know a lot of people who enjoy tax season. Okay, I don't. You know, maybe, maybe you're an accountant, so you're like, yes, amen, I love it. That's how I pay my bills is during tax. Okay, maybe you're the exception. I don't know a lot of people, though, who are like, yeah, man, I just, I love tax season. You know, man, I just, I can't wait to get through Christmas season because then I get to go to tax season, right? Tax season is like going to Vegas. You know, I get to pull the lever and then, you know, I get to do the calculations and then hopefully hit the jackpot and get some money back. You know, I just, I love it. I love tax season. Nobody loves tax season unless they're getting some money back from it, right? Okay? Yeah, here's the thing. Some people will treat the church's offering like it's tax season. Some people, when the offering baskets come by, they are reluctant to give like it's tax season. What Paul is saying is, no, no, not for the Christian. The Christian shouldn't have that response when it comes to an opportunity to be able to give, and especially giving to the church. He says we shouldn't be giving reluctantly or under compulsion. He said we should give, be giving generously, and we should be giving cheerfully from the heart. Christians shouldn't have to be armbarred or triangle choked until they finally tap out and give in and finally, finally start giving. No, instead, our giving should, should flow from an inward delight in Jesus that leads to an external delight in giving. City Awakening, may, may we treasure Jesus Christ so much in our hearts that we become generous people who actually delight in giving. May we treasure Jesus so much in our hearts that it kills the money God in our hearts, the money idol in our hearts, and it changes our attitudes from a tax season type giving to cheerfully giving. All right, this is what, what Paul is teaching us here. Verse 7, again, each person should do as he decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Notice he says that God will supply us with what we need. Right? Every, he'll, he'll supply the cheerful givers with what we need. Not necessarily what we want, but with what we need. Some of your translations might actually say that he'll supply us with what we need to be content. It's because as we grow in generosity, God will help to grow us in contentment. Right? As we grow in being generous, God will help to to bring rest to our worried, anxious hearts because we come to a place where we start to trust that God is always going to provide exactly what we need. Not necessarily what we want, but exactly what we need. Yet we forget this sometimes, don't we? Now, I'm right here with you on this, right? We sometimes forget this. We sometimes forget the many years that God has been providing for us and meeting our needs. I mean, he's been meeting our needs for years. He's been meeting my needs for years. I can look up back on numerous occasions of my life where I didn't think I was going to survive. And God met my needs. But we forget this sometimes. And when we forget the numerous times that God has been providing us with his daily provisions, meeting our needs, that's when our hearts become worried. That's when our hearts become anxious. That's when our hearts become discontent. 
and maybe even start shaking our fists at God feeling like he's not giving us what we want. And you know what? Some of you are there right now. Like Some of you might be there right now. Maybe you've been praying. Maybe you've been asking the Lord to give you certain things, and he hasn't given it to you. That can be a very discouraging time to be in, and and, you know, it's in those moments when our hearts start to become worried, when they start to become anxious, when they start to become maybe filled with fear and discontentment, or we start to get frustrated with God asking, why aren't you giving me what, what I want? See, God's never provided, though, that he will get, he never, he never said he will provide us with exactly what we want, but he did say he'll provide us with exactly what we need. And if you're in that place right now where you're struggling, where you're like, man, how come God hasn't been providing for me what I, what, what I want? You need to remember how much he's provided for you in the past. Like if he's provided for you in the past, what makes you think that he's not going to provide for you now? City Awakening, find hope in the fact that God has been providing for your needs in the past. He's going to provide for your needs in the present. Jesus has provided for your needs in the past. He'll provide for your needs in the future. He may not do it in the way you want or when you want, but he will do it exactly in the way that you need like Paul's saying. This includes emotionally. This includes spiritually. This includes physically. See, some of you are hurting emotionally right now. Some of you might be hurting spiritually. You feel like you're in a spiritual drought. You've been praying. You've been asking the Lord, seeking the Lord. You feel like he's, you know, your prayers are falling on deaf ears. He will provide for you emotionally. He will provide for you spiritually, just like he's done. This is one of the things that, that I can tell you that um, I think experience in life starts to help you in faith over time because the more you go through dirt in your life and hardship in your life, you can always look back on the numerous times that he's pulled you through it and say, hey, you know what? I made it back then. I'm going to make it today too. You know, if, the more you go th- See, some of y'all are younger and you haven't really experienced a ton of pain and hardship and hurt yet in life. Not everybody There's people who have experienced hurt and and pain and hardship at a very young age, sadly, at a very young age. But I remember being younger and I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm invincible. And then I started to have life happen and I started to realize I'm not so invincible. And it shook my faith to the core. But God started to to pull me out of that and I started to say, I can go back on life. Amen? Listen, those of you who have been through hardship, can you not look back on it and see God, how many times he's brought you through and that helps you in the future. Okay, he Thank you. Amen, Paul. Thank you. All right. We're having church this morning, everybody. Okay. My point is, is that he will meet our needs, not only emotionally and not only spiritually, but contextually, according to this, he'll even meet our needs physically. He's been doing it for years. See, contextually, we're talking about um, financial giving um, in this aspect here. And I was processing this past week, like, you know, why do I tend to forget so often God's daily provisions for my life, or really, I think a better way to put it is, why do I tend to overlook God's daily provisions for my life to the point to where I start to question him when I'm not getting what I want? And I think one of the reasons why I tend to overlook his daily provisions in life is because I'm so consumed with, um, I'm so consumeristic driven. You know, we live in such a consumeristic society. When you think about it, we tend to, to not just buy what we need, we tend to buy more than what we need. I mean, I'm like a little spoiled child, honestly, right? You know, I mean, God just, you know, promises to give me my basic needs, but you know what do I do? I want to go out and I want to buy more than what I need. And so I don't really always know what it's like to have need because I'm always buying more than what I need. And so I forget that God is supplying me with all these things daily. You know, we don't just buy a cell phone, right? We want to buy the best Android or iPhone. 
You know, we don't just buy a, a house, a smaller house, you know, with a few rooms. We want to buy a bigger house with bigger rooms and maybe even extra rooms. We don't just want to buy one pair of shoes. We want to buy multiple pairs of shoes for working, walking, running, dying. And because, you know, shoe, shoe carnival had a BOGO, right? Buy one, get one, 50% off. All right, I'm in. I'll take it. I don't need it, but I'm going to take it. I'll, I'll spend the extra 50 bucks, you know, for the buy one, get one. My point isn't that, you know, we should stop, you know, buying or that, you know, we should avoid, you know, buying other things or enjoying, you know, God gifts us, you know, he, you know, he gifts us with finances to be able to enjoy some of his creation. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to go start boycotting Black Friday. You know, it's coming up. I'm not, you know, I'm not getting, it's not a downer for you on that. I'm going to enjoy some Black Friday. I'll enjoy some Cyber Monday. God gives us the gifts and the freedom to be able to do that. So that's not my point. My point is that we um, sometimes will overlook God's daily provisions for our lives because we are so consumer-driven. We are so used to buying more than what we need that when we ask, actually face some hardships, financial hardships, or we don't get what we want, all of a sudden we're like spoiled little children shaking our fists at God and be like, I don't get it. Where, where are you now? No, he's been there the entire time providing for us for many years, and he's going to provide for us now. See, this is Paul's point. Paul's point is, is that for the Christian, you don't ever have to fear whether or not God is going to meet your needs, because he will. Jesus even reiterates this back in the Matthew 6 chapter. All right, Matthew 6, verse 25, verse 30, Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his life by worrying? And why do you worry about your clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? Oh, you of little faith. Jesus says, don't worry. The original Greek can translate as, don't be anxious. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, don't, don't worry. Don't be anxious. Why? Because I love you. I care for you. And I'm going to provide for you. If I pro provide for the birds in the sky and the lilies in the field, then I'm going to provide for you too. So don't worry. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Because I love you. I care for you. I'm going to provide for you. Now, that doesn't mean that, that Jesus is saying, okay, well, then we should just be lazy, you know. We don't, have to, we don't have to go out and work or anything like that. You know, we should just, you know, wait for God to drop some manna or Totino pizza rolls from heaven, and then, you know, everything's going to be okay. That's not what he's saying. Jesus worked. Jesus had work boots. He had a carpenter belt. And he worked for roughly 18 years of his life. So Jesus worked. He teaches us to work. He teaches us to be generous with our wealth, but he also teaches us to not be afraid, to not worry whether or not he's going to provide our needs because he will. Jesus teaches us we can loosen up our grip on our wealth because his love has a tight grip on our heart. He teaches us we can loosen up our grip on our wealth because he's always going to provide exactly what we need. You know, we, we may 
face a shortage one day of certain things. You know, we may face a shortage in gas. We may, you know, face a, a shortage in, in the auto, automobile industry, you know, the microchip shortage. We may face, you know, we're actually in that right now, right? You know, we may face a shortage in cooking oil, you know, for, you know which, which is the possibility of what's happening. We may even face another shortage in toilet paper. I mean, of all things, toilet paper. We never thought we'd run out of, right? We ran out of that. But there's one thing we will never run out of. There will never be a shortage in Jesus' love, grace, mercy, kindness, forgiveness, and provision for our lives. There will never be a shortage of that for our lives, for those who are in him, who have a relationship with him. He has an abundance. If you go back to chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 7, uh, if, if you look at, no, verse 8, uh, I believe it's verse 8, it says that he has an overflowing amount of grace for our lives. His grace is abundant. His giving is abundant. His provision for our lives is abundant. City Awakening, we do not have an Ebenezer Scrooge God. We have a cheerfully giving God who enjoys, delights, in cheerfully giving and providing for his cheerfully giving family. Both Jesus and Paul are saying that we don't ever have to fear giving. Or we don't have to ever fear giving and, you know, are we going to end up having our own needs met in the process? No, because God will always be our great provider. He'll always give. He'll always provide, provide our needs. We don't have to worry. Verse 8, back to 2 Corinthians. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Listen, the degree to which you trust in Jesus' daily provisions for your life is the degree to which you'll be generous in your giving. We need to trust. He's always going to provide, like you just said. Verse 9, as it is written, he distributed freely. He gave to, to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And this is where like a lot of prosperity preachers will try to, you know, grab this and be like, okay, so, you know, you, know, God, you, you give and then God's going to give back to you and you now it's going to be abundant or we have this kind of karmic mindset. We do not have a karmic God. You know, a lot of times, you know, I've, I've heard this come out of Christians' mouths before, you know, you know uh, yeah, you know, karma, karma, what goes around comes around. Okay, you believe in karma, go sell everything you have. If you're that confident and calmer, then go sell everything you have, all right? Any takers? Any givers? No, all right, you're not that confident and calmer, right? Because it's not real. It's not true, all right? And so we don't believe in a karmic God. And that's, this isn't prosperity preaching what he's teaching right here, what Paul's doing right here. The increase in harvest isn't an increase in our financial wealth. It's an increase in our growth in righteousness. That's what Paul is talking about here. Okay, now when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are considered righteous. Not because of us, who we are and what we've done, but because of who Jesus is and what he did. God views us according to Jesus' righteousness, not our unrighteousness. Because Jesus Christ atoned for our unrighteous sins on the cross, so that now when we are viewed by God, we are viewed according to the righteousness of Christ and not our unrighteousness. And so when he says he's going to increase the harvest, you know, he's talking about we're going to grow in living out that righteousness. We're already viewed according to the righteousness of Christ because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, but we still need to learn how to walk in that righteousness, including when it comes to our giving. 
Paul says in chapter 8, he, I believe it's verse 7, he says in chapter 8, verse 7, we need to excel in this act of grace. We need to excel in this act of generosity. We need to excel in becoming more generous like Jesus is. Well, the more we give, the more we excel in this act of grace. The more we give, the more we grow in learning how to live out this, this um, righteousness of Christ, being generous like Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way for all generosity which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. I notice that their giving is not only benefiting them, but it's also benefiting those around them. We talked about this last week. When you give to the church, what God is doing is he's using your giving as an instrument of grace to give provision for others to help even lead to the transformation and the salvation of others so that more people will come to give thanks and praise to God. One of our codes here at City Awakening is that we want to live contently, give generously to reach more missionally. It comes from this text here. And if we live this code out, if we live this text out, we're going to see many more people being provided for. We're going to see many more people coming to know Christ, having their lives transformed by Christ, bringing more praise and glory to Christ, which is ultimately ultimately the goal of our giving. We want to see more people coming to give thanks to God. Verse 13, because of the proof provided by this ministry, They will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, meaning Jesus. Jesus is the inexpressible gift. It's his salvation for us. Paul is saying that that the gift of Jesus is indescribable. I mean, the gift of Jesus is, is, is so good for us and so great for us. The salvation of Christ is so good for us that words can't even describe just how great it is for us. He's the gift that keeps on giving. Right? Jesus gives us forgiveness. He gives us new life, a new birth, a new church family to help hold our arms up when we feel like we can't hold our arms up. Jesus gives us eternal life. He gives us eternal hope. He gives us eternal joy in him. Jesus is the greatest gift. He is the greatest display. He is the greatest example, the greatest motivation for our giving as Christians, for those of us who are Christians. Just like breathing is evidence that you're alive, giving is evidence that the Christian has received the generosity of Christ, has received the inexpressible gift of Christ for their life. Now we are to, to give not reluctantly or under compulsion. We're to give in response to the inexpressible gift of Jesus that, that we have received. This is one of the reasons why um, our elders have actually, our leaders in the church have actually made the decision to start passing the offering baskets again like we used to do before COVID took place. You know, the, those, um, you know, those baskets, they're not meant to, like, make people feel guilt or anything like that. It's, it's meant to be a reminder that giving is a response to the inexpressible gift of Jesus that we've received. When the offering baskets, you know, pass you by, you know, and, you know, maybe you, maybe you let them go by, um, you know, because you give online, all right? Nobody's going to judge you for that. I mean, my family gives online, and so, you know, for us, that's what we do. We try to make, I mean, that's an act of worship even online, all right? So, so it's not about that. You don't have to feel guilty or feel like somebody's judging you if you let the, ba- the basket go by. Maybe you're giving online. That's fine. They're, those baskets, when they come by, aren't um, meant to be the only way that you give. They are meant to be a visible reminder to us 
to respond to the, to the inexpressible gift of Jesus, to respond to the generosity that Jesus has given us. They are a reminder for us that this is an invitation for us to participate in the growing of Jesus's kingdom through his church. All right, we are to give not reluctantly or under compulsion. How much? How much are we to give? Well, give what the Lord Jesus places on your heart to give in response to the inexpressible gift and generosity of Jesus. That's how much you give, right? So this is the big idea of the message, right? The big idea of the message is this. The heart is more important than the amount, okay? It's the heart of the giver, the attitude of the giver that's more important than the amount of the giving. Now, I said this um, in, in week one of this series, and I'm gonna say it again. If a pastor talking about money is an issue for you, then give somewhere else. Okay, I'm fine with that. We're good with that. And let me be clear, that is not to give those of you who are Christians a cop-out. Okay, I'm not trying to give those of you who are Christians an out. I mean, the Bible teaches us to be able to give and to support the church, and we should be doing that because it's the bride of Christ, and it's God's plan A for expanding and growing his kingdom. And we're taught throughout Scripture, not just in here, to be able to care for the needs of the people in the church and to spread the gospel outside the church. So I'm not saying that to give those of you who are Christians an out. I'm simply saying that because I want you to know that we care more about the treasures in your heart than we do about the treasure in your pocket. We care more about you treasuring Jesus in your heart, growing into becoming more generous like Jesus than we do care about, about you growing more in greed. We don't want you to grow more in greed because we know that's not good for you. We know that's not good for your family. We're not, we know that's not good for the church or society in general. We care more about the treasure in your heart than we do the treasure in your pockets. But if a pastor talking about giving is that big of a deal for you, then give somewhere else. But if not, if you treasure Jesus in your heart, then let him do a work on your heart. If Jesus is your greatest treasure, then let him do a work on your heart. Let him do a work on your attitude, especially your attitude towards giving to the church. Listen, I'll leave you with this, City Awakening. You will make sacrifices for whatever it is that you love in life. Okay, you'll make sacrifices for the things that you love most in life. For example, you will make sacrifices if you love your family. If you love your family, then you're going to make sacrifices. You're going to sacrifice your time. You'll sacrifice your talents. You'll sacrifice your treasures for the good of your family. You will make sacrifices for that which you love in life. Since Jesus sacrificed his life for you, what do you think that means about how Jesus feels about you? Since Jesus sacrificed his life, since he lived, died, and rose again for you, what do you think that means about how he views you? It means he treasures you. He he treasures you. He sacrificed his life for you because he treasures you. The question is, do you treasure him? Do you treasure him And are you willing to give up some of your treasures for him? Will you give him your heart and become a generous giver? That's the question. City Wakeman, let's pray. Jesus, there is no question about how much you treasure us. That you love us and you cared for us enough 
to come and suffer on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Holy Spirit, may you open the heart of the skeptic right now in the room or the skeptic online. Let them set set aside even the, the idea of giving right now and let them receive, open their hearts to be able to receive your great generosity. Let them experience what we as Christians have come to know, the inexpressible gift of your salvation. Right now where they're at or watching online, whether it's at home or here, Jesus, work in their hearts so that they will repent of their sins and receive the great generosity of your forgiveness and salvation. For those of us who are Christians, Jesus, would you work in our hearts, would you work on our attitudes so that we can give more generously to accomplish the the growing of your kingdom so that more people will come to give praise and glory to your name. Help us to trust in you, Jesus, that you will always provide not necessarily what we want, but exactly what we need. Jesus, help us to give our hearts to you this morning. It is in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship Jesus.